Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Hey, welcome to episode 169 of our Leading Simple podcast. So glad that you guys are with us. Uh, We're going to have a fun next three months. I love the fall. I love football. I love that basketball's coming back soon. I love all the holidays. Um, It just all culminates at Christmas. It's so fun. And this particular Christmas Thanksgiving season, we want to help a lot of people. And if you've been around any of our churches, you know that we love the organization Compassion International. They're an incredible organization that has literally helped more than 1.9 million people, uh, kids that have been sponsored. Uh, They partner with over 80,000 international churches, and they also have 65 years of serving people. And when you sponsor a child through Compassion, it goes to provide for their needs physically, emotionally, medically, spiritually. It's incredible what they do just for a few dollars a month from you. So we have a goal. We are trying to sponsor 1,000 children through the Leading Simple podcast between now and the end of December. So that's three months. We're going to try to sponsor 1,000 kids, and we would love for you to be a part of that. Even if you've sponsored a child already, hey, sponsor another one. There's such a huge backlog of kids that did not get sponsored through the COVID season. There's a huge need. And so you can do that by going to their website. In fact, if you go to their website, you can even let them know that you found out the information here, which would be great. Uh, Just go to Compassion.com slash Rusty. Compassion.com slash Rusty. And they'll know where you're coming from, which helps us know how many kids we sponsor and if we hit our goal of a 1,000. So, love for you to be a part of that. We so appreciate the way that Compassion is sponsoring us and taking care of us through this uh, particular process. And it's going to be a great, great partnership as we continue. Well, today on our podcast, we have the honor of hearing from an incredible woman by the name of Jenny Catron. Jenny is a writer, a speaker, a leadership coach. She consults with churches and nonprofits to help them lead at their extraordinarily best. Her passion is to lead well, inspire, equip, and encourage others to do the same. She speaks at conferences, churches nationwide, seeking to help people develop their leadership gifts and lead confidently in the different spheres of influence God has granted them. As founder and CEO of the Foresight Group, she consults with individuals and teams on leadership and organizational health. Um, She's the author of many books, and you're going to want to connect with her at Jenny Catron, J-E-N-N-I-C-A-T-R-O-N.com. You're going to love to hear what she has to say, especially about mental health as we continue our discussion on that this year. Here we go with Jenny Catron. Well, Jenny, so great to have you on the podcast. Um, I know that in your 20s, you worked for Christian music uh, labels and uh, bands and did marketing for them. Who are some of your favorite Christian artists from those days? And who are some of your favorite artists now? Ah, great question. Um, And first of all, thank you for having me on the show. I'm excited about our conversation today. Uh, So my favorites back in those days. So just so everybody gets a little context, I worked for uh, Forefront Records in the late 90s, early 2000s. And so uh, it was some of the fun, I say the fun days of Christian music, because that's when we still had pretty strong, we still have great Christian radio, but 
Christian radio was really prominent and Christian bookstores were still around and all those things. But um, probably some of my favorite artists to work with, uh, I got to work with DC Talk and then all of their solo records. And so Toby Mack uh, is probably one of my all-time favorite artists to work with and still one of my favorite artists to this day. So he, mm -hmm. he, he lands in both categories, just a remarkable individual, huge heart for what he does, heart for people. Um, loves his family, loves Jesus, you know, just consistency of, of who he is on stage and off stage mm. um, was a real privilege to, to see behind the scenes. And then, you know, still, um, you know, I'm connected to some of his, some of the team that he works with still. And so it's just fun to, fun to see all of that. Uh, I also had the privilege of working with an artist named Stacy Arico that did, uh, had a couple of uh, pop top 40 hits along with the, the Christian, um, uh, radio stuff that she did. And she was like a little sister to me. So that was just a really sweet and fun relationship for the years that we worked together. We still stay in touch. So, hmm. um, that was, that was a fun one. And, uh, today, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I don't know if this is because I've worked in it so closely. I am not as big of a consumer of, music mm. than I, as I was of any music. It's funny. I will just kind of randomly turn on the radio. If somebody tells me an album is good, or I hear that the latest, you know, elevation record has come out, you know, and the latest worship album from whomever is out that I, then I listen, but I, I, I don't have like, I'm not as, as much of a super fan of music as I was when I worked in it. I don't know what that says. It wasn't like I got soured to it, but I just, I listen to a lot of podcasts and read a lot of books, so maybe I've just become boring is the reality. Yeah. Well, I think at, at, uh, at my age, I'm not going to, you're not, I don't think you're near that, but at my age, I just think I only have so much time in the car Yes. and I want to listen to podcasts or books or that kind of thing. That's going to be really valuable. And then music is kind of more of the downtime, uh, whether I'm, you know, just sitting outside or whatever. But uh, it's interesting you mentioned Toby Mac. Uh, I've had a chance to meet him once. He would never remember me. But in that brief interaction, I think you can tell a lot about a person just and just how they deal with not just fans, but just people in general. And you can tell when somebody's trying to get away from you and when somebody is is standing around to talk. And I, I said hi to him. I thought, that's all I get. And he like stood there and asked me questions. And we had a really great conversation. And I, everybody I talk to that's associated with him has nothing to, but great things to say about him, which is, yeah. is fantastic. I single-handedly tried to talk him into bringing DC Talk back together, and I have yet to be able to pull that off. So, we had a, oh well. I, I, you know, everybody kind of nudges them along. They did a, uh, back pre-COVID, they did a DC Talk reunion cruise. Wow. So they they dabbled just a little bit. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what they'll do, but yeah. Wow. That's, yeah, that's certainly at a certain age when you're getting into the cruises. That's, uh, that's great. <laughs> I'm surprised I didn't find a, out about that. A bunch of my former colleagues and friends from those days went because, you know, we were all aware of it and I kind of wish I had just cause it would have been really funny, but. Yeah. So you start off in Christian music and then tell us a little bit about your journey from there. You've worked in churches, you now yeah. run your own organization. Tell us about just what you do. Yeah. So I, uh, I was, I was kind of living my dream job working in the, in the music business. That was as a little girl, I wanted to be a record company executive. So oh, wow. probably a quirky little girl is the reality of it. But, uh, but then, you know, we were living in Nashville, Nashville, my husband and I, and we were a part of, 
uh, a church plant in Nashville. And, you know, we both have been raised in the church. We both served in the church like crazy. And so we just anticipated that we were, we're just good, faithful volunteers, you know, doing our part. And we had the, uh, I had the opportunity of going on staff at that church. And so that was kind of my entrance into ministry full time, which is a bit unexpected, but was just, you know, one of those God directed moments that you just, just realize God is, God is shifting the direction and your response is to be obedient. Hmm. And uh, just had the privilege of working in a local church as executive director and uh, very fast growth, um, nine years on staff there. That was just a real gift and privilege to serve in ministry full time. Uh, and then I ended up uh, serving in another uh, at another church um, in uh, full time ministry for another couple of years. But in all of that, my passion for leadership and teams and helping leaders be healthy, their teams be healthy. That was kind of the crux of what I was obviously I'm passionate about the local church. But I found that helping the leaders and the teams be healthy and thriving was really like the like the real core of my heart and passion. And so the opportunities were just growing to be able to serve more churches and more leaders. And so I started uh, an organization called the Foresight Group. And uh, that's what we do. We coach um, uh, leaders and in churches, ministries, nonprofits, even some businesses, some faith-based leaders in the business world who say, you know what, I want to make sure I'm healthy and thriving as a leader. I want my team to be healthy and thriving. Um, and so that's our that's my world today. I get the privilege of speaking when we do that. We're still figuring out how to do that in person again. Yeah. Um, speaking at some conferences, but then I do a lot of one-on-one executive coaching and then working with executive teams on the health of their team, their culture, and their strategy. So that's my world. Wow, so that's uh, that's that's a busy world. I, I want to drill down on a couple things you said. You mentioned a church that you were a part of, and it had rapid growth. and And I know the history of that church, and I know that things did not end well for their founding pastor. Uh, there was a moral failure, and he's out of ministry right now. But I, I, I don't want to get into gossip and, and names. But what I do want to know for our listeners out there is, in hindsight. And what do you coach other churches and organizations on as to when an organization starts to detach from reality? Because that's what you seem, to, you seem to see in a lot of these places is they detach from reality, they think they're bigger than they really are, and they make choices that they think have no consequences. When, when do you see a trajectory in an organization or a church when you think, hmm, things could be moving out of bounds here and could wreck a person, a family, or an organization? Yeah, such a great question. And, and really, that circumstance just further solidified my heart for the work that I do now. And just, you know, uh, and I'm an, I'm an achiever. I may, you know, I, and I think that's probably why I was drawn to the culture as I wanted, I loved the fast growth and the opportunity to, to do great work. I mean, we're grateful that in spite of us, God still does his work as well. But, um, but yeah, I think in hindsight, what I, what I just reflect on from that experience is, um, when when you do think you figured it out, yeah, you know, like, and I don't know if anybody actually like ever admits that in the moment, right? Of like, oh, we have this figured out, but there's a bit of an arrogance that creeps in, and it's subtle. Um, and but I think some of the some of the indicators are uh, when you're too busy for connection and accountability, uh, when the circ- when your circle of um, friends, family. Um, people who are speaking wisdom into you, into you when you when you don't have time for that because it you know it edges out 
slowly. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it, it, that's the thing I, I, I refer to that season a lot is the the proverbial frog in the boiling pot of water, right? I like in is when unfortunately I moved on before that leader um, uh, left, and uh, and I I wasn't there in the worst of it, but it I look back on it and I see how you just it, the waters the temperatures rising and you just you're just too familiar to realize it, but yeah. that it's it, when you're when you're not inviting voices in when you think you know how to do it all. Um, there's just a, a subtlety of arrogance that just creeps in and grows. There's a, um, we use the excuse that leadership is lonely and I do think leadership is lonely, but I don't think leadership should be isolating. Mm. And when you become isolated as a leader, uh, when there's no longer people who are able to speak into you and um, those are the danger signs. Those are the warning signs for me. And that's so good. It's hard to self-diagnose. Uh, and that's, that's, that's the, uh, you know, so my joy is when I get to work with leaders now who are trying to be proactive and say, Hey, I've seen enough of the other stories that I don't want to do this. Um, what do I need to know? What do I need to pay attention to? And my encouragement there is, is that, that the, the accountable voices who don't report to you, <laughs> You know, because I think a lot of times we think we have people who can speak into our lives, but they are there because they are they they are being paid to be around us or near us. And uh, we need we need voices who have no skin in the game. We need mm. we need people who aren't afraid to um, just be able to speak into our lives. And you can only have the ability to do that if we have time together. So if you don't have friends that are disconnected from your work world that are able to speak truth and life and health into you, that's a, that's a warning sign. Mm. That's so good. Um, some of you, the stuff that you do is you help organizations and help leaders uh, kind of clarify all of that. Uh, let me just ask you this because Goodness, it seems like over the last 30 years, we have been inundated with the word leadership. Hmm. Um, I blame John Maxwell for starting it all. <laughs> right. Uh, but we never thought about that before. We thought about management. Mm -hmm. uh, but now we think about leadership, and it seems like everybody has a take on it. Everybody has four things you need to do. Here's a, a framework you need to use, a picture frame to look through, a template to apply. Can you just simplify it for us, for everybody overwhelmed with this idea of how do I be a leader? Mm -hmm. What's a leader look like to you and what are their responsibilities in your mind? Yeah, yeah, I, I love this question because I do think the word leader is used so loosely that we none of us have a real philosophy of leadership. Mm. And um, so that was, a, that was a bit of a journey for me is like, what do I really believe about leadership? And uh, I, uh, in, in some study and prayer and so forth, I was reading through the gospels and looking at the life of Jesus through the lens of leadership, just saying, Hey, how did Jesus lead? You know, like really, how did he lead? And mm -hmm. what stood out to me in that and really became the kind of philosophy for me or how I frame leadership is in the great commandment where we're told to love God and love others. And I had a, I had a leader back in my music business days who said to me, Jen, if you want to lead people, you're going to have to learn how to love them to lead them. <laughs> and I couldn't shake that, this idea that act, to be a leader, I needed to love people. I needed to love them to lead them. Mm. And that st stayed with me. And then I'm, I'm reading through the Gospels. I'm reading uh, uh, the Great Commandment, and I kind of want to breeze by it. And, 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 it, and I think the Holy Spirit just kind of prompted me to say, slow down. 
Mm. It, it all comes back to love God, love others. Mm-hmm. And that's the essence of leadership. Like my, uh, I, I've been gifted with this, this place of influence. So, you know, Maxwell would say leadership is influence. And that word influence means the power to change or affect someone. And when I first read that definition, it just haunted me. This idea that, you know what, when we have influence, we have the power to change or affect someone. And that is sacred work. You know, you think about the people who have changed and affected your life, the leaders who have changed or affected your life for good or bad, right? Right. And so there's a sacredness to that work that I think leaders miss. I think we, I think it's subconscious. I think we think leadership is about power um, and position and authority and opportunity and platform. And we probably wouldn't even say those things, but I think in, we intuitively believe that because that's sometimes what we see on the, on the exterior, but the real motive and the heart of leadership has to be a sacred recognition that I have influence giving me the power to change or affect the people that I get to lead. And that is like, that's sobering. Right. Like there should, I think we should be a little bit resistant to the idea of leadership because that power to change or affect others has long-term ripple effect consequence. And that's my belief of my heart for leaders is that we have a real understanding of the sacredness of that work. And that's the posture in which we approach it. Mm. Well, that's so well said. I mean, it really does begin with our, a heart for people um, and just that. Yeah. I love what, uh, what, what Kerry says about, uh, Kerry Newhoff says about, uh, you know, leadership and his podcast and all that. He says, listen, podcast is here today, gone tomorrow. The, the, the thing I'm trying to do is just help leaders and that's it. I thought, boy, that is such a great, great way to simplify this. It's not, the podcast isn't the goal. The book isn't the goal. Right. The goal is to help help people. Yeah. And I think that's true for any leader, no matter what your platform, your medium you use, you're just trying to help people. So you try to help churches and you, <laughs> uh, anybody who works in the church world knows we're, we're a funny bunch of people. Um, we can spiritualize anything and then uh, uh, make a mess of anything too. Uh, how, do, how do we get this all messed up? How do we... Um, how do we let vision leak and lose strategy? And and how do we drift? I mean, I've seen this happen with us. I've seen this happen with other churches. You're so passionate, so passionate. And then slowly you get stuck in eight hour meetings about carpet color. I mean, <laughs> how does it come to that? Yes. Uh, what do you see churches and, and individuals get stuck with? Yeah, that's a great question. It, it is. There's a um, there's a there's a book that I love called The Four Disciplines of Execution. It's a business strategy book. You've read it. You're giving me the oh, thumbs yeah. up. Yeah, multiple times. Yeah, such a great book. But you know what I love in there is they talk about the concept of the whirlwind, right? That there is the whirlwind of all the things that have to be attended to, and it's just like that's such a um, like such a strong visual of like the whirlwind of everything that is is coming at us, and we've just got to kind of manage. And they talk about fighting for, you know, time to get out of the whirlwind and and get the perspective you need to to lead your organization forward. And I think the thing that I see us lose touch with um, as as individuals and as churches, really almost any organization can apply this, is a clear sense of purpose. 
Um, you know, that we have a real clear sense of purpose. Who are we? Why are we doing what we're doing? So uh, that clarity of mission, that clarity of vision, clarity of the values that really drive us and, and help us keep tethered to just a sense of, of purpose. I was reading an article today. I can't even remember where it was. Um, I could find it. But they were talking about how, you know, after all of this, you know, this past year and a half of craziness we've all been experiencing, that we're entering like the sixth stage of grief, which is that desire for a sense of meaning, right? So trying to find meaning after loss. And, and I think, I think, you know, and and we, you know, we, all of us, we cycle, you know, through different stages of, of, you know, of the highs and lows of ministry work and so forth. And I think we're collectively like going back to, Hey, why do we do what we do? I need to find a sense of meaning and a sense of purpose in this. I remember last year at the beginning of the pandemic, and I, I was sitting here at this desk thinking, who's going to hire me? Am I, you know, like, this is craziness. And, and I, God was just saying to me, hey, why do you do what you do? What's your purpose? And I, it's, to, it's to equip leaders to be healthy and thriving. Hmm. Okay, leaders are going to need that more than ever. And so I didn't know how that was all going to work. I couldn't define all the strategies because it was all being blown up, right? But I could go back to, this is my anchor a sense of purpose, a clarity of mission and vision of why I do what I do. And my strategies might have to shift, but I think a lot of times we fixate on strategy and how we're going to do what we do. And we, hmm. we lose connection to that sense of purpose. And so I think that's what sets us adrift is when we, when we forget our why, why am I doing this? Because if I am connected to that, why I can weather a lot of discomfort right. because I'm, I'm just grounded in a clear sense of purpose. Excuse me for just a second while I interrupt this episode. Just want to remind you about our mission right now to sponsor 1,000 kids through Compassion International. Go to their website for more information. Click on Compassion.com slash Rusty to sponsor a child. We're trying to sponsor as many as we can and help out kids that have been left behind through the COVID season. So do that right now and then go back to the show. Compassion.com slash Rusty. How has healthy and thriving changed over the last 15 months? What does that look like now that maybe it didn't look like before? That's a great question. Um, I think whatever meant healthy and thriving for you, I've coached some leaders through this, probably you've had to increase that. So for example, if um, you, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. I am, I'm an introvert. I need to read. I need to study. I also, the nature of my job, I'm doing a lot of output. I'm speaking and pouring into a lot of other people. So I need a lot of inputs. Well, the pace of everything is moving so rapidly. We're having to make decisions so quickly. I realized that to be healthy and thriving, I needed more time reading and studying. Mm. I needed more time with input. And some of that is obviously scripture. Some of that is other resources that are helpful for the work that I do. Um, but whatever your rhythm of, of scripture reading, prayer, Sabbath, you probably need exponentially more of that. That's what I have found over this past year mm. is that whatever I needed and was like a healthy rhythm for me 16, 18 months ago, I actually need a little bit disproportionately more in this season, because we're still, every 
you know, there's a couple things that um, psychologists have been talking about. First of all, is decision fatigue and that mm-hmm. everything has been a new decision because, you know, things that used to be routine um, were all disrupted. And to some degree, we're starting to get back to that. But there's still that just uh, like chronic fatigue of I've been making so many decisions of all the things I've got to shift in it and do differently in order to just manage life. Mm -hmm. And then there's that concept of languishing, which is this idea that, you know what, I'm not, um, I'm not uh, clinically depressed, but I'm also not thriving. And so I'm somewhere in this murky middle that they're calling languishing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so I think to recover from that, we have to, we have to double down on the things that bring us life and bring us joy and bring us energy and bring us renewal. So whatever those things were pre-pandemic, my experience has been I'm having to actually increase those when the temptation is to decrease them because I think I've got to mm. just do all these extra things to work harder and make up lost time or whatever whatever that feels like for you. Um, I think I've had to learn a discipline of, hey, I probably need a little more time in uh, rest, Sabbath, renewal um, in order to get back to a healthy and thriving place. What does that what does that look like for you, Rusty? flip that question back around to you. Oh, that is, that is so, uh, that's such good insight because I was just thinking about when you said the introvert thing, I, I too am an introvert. And so even over the past 15 months, there were parts of it that it was great because I'm stuck at home. Right. Um, but then I, as I got to thinking about it, why was I so exhausted? Well, because I brought my work life into my home life and I was making all these decisions constantly. There was no off switch. So, yeah. the, and I was just processing this. I need to double down on, I need to have blocks of time where I just read. Yeah. Nothing yes. else. Life-giving um, for you. Life-giving, yeah. 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 To, to give up this idea that I can multitask and do email, reading, and writing all at the same time. Um, not, I can't do that. Men can't do that. We all think I, we can, but we can't. And I think, I think the science says that none of us do it very well. Um, right, right. But, we, we just prolong a job much longer because we've tried to do four at the same time. That's right. So I, th- I think that's, that's good insight there. I'm going to start putting blocks of time out there just to, to read or to input, um, because of all the output. Um, Okay, so you mentioned decision fatigue, and I know this is one of the things you work with with people even before the pandemic, but the idea of decisions. Where do organizations struggle with decision-making, and, and why is that? Yeah, I think great another great question. I think that um, we struggle with decisions when they're not affirmed by those around us. Hmm. And so the nature of leadership is you're going to see things before others see them. That's why you're, that's why you're in the lead. Um, that, that, you know, part of our responsibility as the leader is to go first and help kind of pave the way for others. Hmm. And that means we're going to make decisions. And the decision that we're making is not always clear and obvious to everyone else. Now, I'm going to caveat that with, you know, it, that doesn't mean that every decision we want to make is the right decision. So we need the multitude of counselors to help speak into it. But I think we struggle sometimes making decisions because um, because it's lonely. It you know sometimes we're having to make decisions that impact others, and they may not be able to quite see the full picture yet. But that's part of I think what some we're entrusted with as leaders is to again see more than others can see have a sense of vision for where we're going and where we're headed. 
I don't know if that was the essence of, of that question for you, but that, that's what came to mind is that, that we struggle with decisions because of um, sometimes we're the only one who sees them or there's the loneliness of having to, to make that decision and lead others through it. Um, I think we also, we just, you know, I think we struggle with wanting to be liked. And so when a decision needs to be made mm-hmm. that is perhaps not popular, uh, we will be reluctant to do it, or we will, we will not be as clear as we need to be because we feel we want to, we, we want to be liked. And hmm. again, there's some emotional intelligence required in that, right? Cause we'd also don't just want to be jerks. Um, but, uh, I think that we, we can be slow to make important and correct decisions because we are afraid of creating discomfort. And there are moments we need to be comfortable making others uncomfortable. Oh, that's, man, you hit a, you hit a sore spot there. Okay. So (laughs) help me understand this because you have one school of thought that says leadership is just telling people what to do. This is where we're going. Here's the hill. Let's go. And then there's the other side that says, no, it's really about building a coalition. You're more of a senator than you are a CEO. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you got to have people like you before they'll follow you. I know there's a healthy balance of both, but is there any way to discern that other than just time? Yeah, that's, a, that's really good. So part of, you know, um, uh, I, I do think it's, I think there's a discernment and there's a, there's a wisdom factor that's part of that. And I think there's a humility in the acknowledgement of those tensions, right? I think, again, I think that goes to back to posture as a leader in that I recognize there are moments where I'm going to have to make the decision, make the call. This is the hill. Here's where we're going. And that is what's necessary. And then there are moments where I, I need to bring, we always need to bring people with us, but the pace at which we bring them, um, Mm. and knowing, knowing that that tension exists and then knowing that part of my responsibility is to discern that and, and approaching that with a, a bit of humility, curiosity, and then the courage to, to, to do that is, is key. Um, I, uh, there was something else I was just going to say to that, and then it escaped me. Oh, I was going to say this is this is where that great commandment uh, philosophy of leadership helps has been helpful for me because you know it's love God and love others, but there's the caveat of love God and love others with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mm. And there's a natural tension that happens in those four things. So this is where the geek in me like really dug in to look at that scripture and go, you know what, love God and love others. I've known since you know kindergarten, Sunday school. And it's on the wall of every church I've been a part of, but, but there's a clarification of we're supposed to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and with all of our strength. And the implication is that's our whole being. Hmm. So if I'm loving God, loving others, leading others, I've got to bring all of me to the equation. So in really, it really short, it's heart is the relational side of leadership. So as a leader, I've got to build relationships. When I build relationships, I earn influence and I earn trust essential for any relationship. So if I haven't done that, it's really hard for me to like declare the hill we're charging and expect anybody to follow me. Right. So I have to have led with heart. I have to have earned influence and earned trust to be able to have the credibility for anybody to follow me. Soul is the spiritual side of leadership. It's the, my character, my integrity, my consistency of character and integrity, my morality, that faith is guiding everything I do, that I'm praying for God to impart wisdom. So if I'm not doing that, it's going to be really hard to have the credibility for people to follow me. 
Mm. Mind is the strategy. Mind is the, there's the hill. Here's how we're conquering it. This is where we're going. This is why we're going there. So the mind is saying, hey, okay, here's how. Hmm. Um, and strength is, is that vision. Is, is, can, scripture tells us without vision, people perish. So strength, when, when we provide vision, we provide strength to the people that we lead. And so it is the, okay, and here's, but if, if I've led with heart, if the character and integrity of, you know, I'm leading with soul, if that's happening, I have a, I have a plan and it's, it's well defined. And then I'm reminding people of the vision of why we're going there. Then I think you see, that's good. All those things come together. So I think built into that is a, mm-hmm. those tensions exist, but I think they work together to help us lead more effectively. And don't you think that when you see a church or an organization or even a family that's stuck, it's mainly because they're, they're stuck in one of those boxes and not kind of- uh, Operating in all At of least them. sharing, yeah, sharing the responsibility with the other ones. Yeah. Which brings me to a question I wanted to ask you. And a mutual friend of ours, uh, Mark White, gave me this question because he's recently worked with you and your organization and his. But when you're putting together a lead team, an executive team, um, some kind of an organization you're building, our tendency is to find people just like us and, oh, whoops, now we're all in the heart box or we're all in the strength box. Yeah. How, how do you help people and what do you encourage people to look for as far as a multitude of personalities or is it all about the Enneagram now, <laughs> right. um, you know, which is the uh, essential oil of the Christian church right now? So, That's you right. Know, and I'm a believer, but still there's always these new things. So how do we differentiate who to hire as opposed to just finding more people like ourselves? Yeah, yeah, great question. And uh, just the awareness that we all will have a tendency to hire people like ourselves. Yeah, We like people who think like us. They just get it. They, you know, it, it feels like it accelerates everything. Um, hmm. And so we need to, just the awareness of that is growth, right? The awareness of, oh, wait, I've got to, I've got to be intentional to make sure I have other voices around the table bringing balanced perspective. So uh, I'm a, you know, I have my preferences of which personality tools I like, but any of them can be valuable because they're all just tools. They're not gospel. They're just tools. And we can use some of those tools to help give us some self-awareness, some team awareness to say, hey, how are we? And, and I, honestly, I think they're quite valuable for the team dynamic is mm-hmm. using tools like that to give us, just give us perspective that other people think differently than you. <laughs> That's like, you know, lesson number one is that, oh, not everybody thinks like me. And they might actually have something really, val- they do have something really valuable to bring to the conversation and bring to the table. Yeah. Uh, so I'm a big fan of using those tools to help you just see the the difference in personality and, um, and, and wiring of the teams. Um, I use from the predictable success methodology, there's a visionary operator process or synergist tool that I think is really powerful for helping understand the the leadership styles and decision-making styles and preferences at the table. Mm. And I think that one's really big. I will use the heart, soul, mind, and strength um, model uh, to help just understand, hey, you know, because especially in church world, um, I see this all the time. Our pastors tend to be heart and soul leaders and our admin and sometimes in our exec side, we see the the mind and strength. And those two things can live at odds and tension with each other. When in actuality, it's a recognition that our gifts collectively together um, help us best reflect 
um, uh, the body of Christ. And we all know that. So Mm -hmm. using those tools and those assessments helps us get an eye on, hey, what voice is missing at the table? Mm -hmm. And then being intentional to make sure that that we're we're hiring towards uh, just helping find balance in those leadership voices. Um, I think it's Rick Warren who, uh, he says this in regards to marriage. He says, before you're 30, opposites attract. And after you're 30, opposites attack. <laughs> so good. And I, I, and I was just thinking about this as you were saying this. In your 20s, you just want to, you just want people, you know, that are, are crazy and different and it's all interesting. And then after that, you're like, you don't think like me, so you're an idiot. It's true. Um, it just it really becomes a, a, a striking point for people. So um, I know that your group helps out a lot of churches, a lot of people. And as I've already mentioned, um, you know, some people that I know have truly benefited from what you do. Tell us a little bit about you being the CEO of the Foresight Group and and what it is that you actually do and how you can help people. Yeah. Um, well, uh, you know, again, the heart is we want to help support leaders, but our uh, specifically, um, I have a team of coaches that does one-on-one coaching with leaders. And, you know, so if that leader is saying, you know what, I realize I've hit a lid as a leader. Uh, I, I, I realize something's, I'm not, I'm not growing in my leadership or I'm feeling a lot of friction or, you know what, I've recently been given more responsibility and I'm terrified of it. Then our team of coaches, you know, does comes alongside people and does one-on-one coaching. So that's a really valuable, like if you're personally in a place where, you know, you've got uh, some growth to do, or sometimes, you know, senior leaders will say, Hey, I've got somebody that I want to develop up into more leadership in the organization. Hmm. Pairing them with a the coach is a really great opportunity. And then specifically on the, um, like, uh, the team side of things, working with executive teams, again, where executive teams feel stuck, you hmm. know, so the mutual friend that we have, uh, you know, where they recognize, you know what, we're our, or our, our ministry is growing, we know that more is required of us, but we're not sure what that is. So helping people uncover their blind spots as a team or as a leader and saying, mm. hey, let us help you uncover that blind spot in what's holding your team back from achieving your mission. So if you're feeling either you're anticipating, hey, we're in a growth season and we need somebody to help us anticipate how to make sure we're we're raising our leadership skill to be able to serve the organization well in the next season that's ahead. Or maybe, you know, especially after, you know, all of the craziness that we've all gone through in the past year and a half, that recognition that, hey, the landscape has changed and something different is being required of me as a leader and as a leadership team, then I'll do an extended, oftentimes six to 24 months of coming alongside being an extension of your team. And, And really, I see myself as that. I see myself as an extra part of the team. And helping coach you as a team, helping illuminate, hey, here's some of those places we need to grow, think differently so we can lead better. Um, so I know that sounds a little fuzzy. Part of it's because it's nuanced to the team. Hmm. It is it is helping you coming into your team and identifying, hey, what are those blind spots? Yeah. And then helping lead you through those. Okay. So just out of curiosity, let's say you're working with four or five, six different clients at the same time. How do you keep it all straight? I mean, what is your system? I mean, do you use Evernote? Are you a, a whiteboard question. person? Yes. I mean, because just being able to compartmentalize all the, oh yeah, I'm in Wisconsin today, or I'm in Florida tomorrow, and this church is dealing with this, this church is dealing with this. Yeah. Do you have to sit down and refresh notes before you meet with them, or how do you do that? It's a great. That's a great question. Yeah, it, it definitely keeps me on my toes. Um, but I, I, I keep, um, uh, you know, good 
Google folders and Google Docs of every every team that I work with. Okay. Uh, I take notes for everything. I can't leave anything to chance memory wise. It's like, you know, so I'm typically like taking notes like crazy, whether I'm in person or we're doing something virtual. Um, I do if I'm whiteboarding, then I've got I've got, you know, a scan app that I'm taking scans of every whiteboard, you know, when we're together so that I can come back and then my team helps me build all the notes from it. So yes, it is keeping massive amounts of notes and uh, occasionally asking for forgiveness if I forget something specific. Right. um, Well, just even names too, you know, just calling somebody the wrong name and the wrong city. I mean, that would be (laughs) just so, so like me. All right. Well, tell our people where they can find you, social media, websites, anything like that. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so website for Foresight is getforesight.com. It's the word get, G-E-T, the number four in the word site, S-I-G-H-T. So getforesight.com. And uh, in fact, there's a little quick free assessment right on the top of the website that is a culture blind spot assessment. So if there's something mm. that you're like, hmm, I feel like our team is not functioning on all cylinders. What is it? That's a really fun way to just go take a quick assessment and see, hey, what's what might be the thing holding our team back right now? And then I'm just at Jenny Catron on all the socials. So J-E-N-N-I-C-A-T-R-O-N. Uh, so you can find me. I'd love to stay connected on social media. Mm. I'm probably most active on Instagram. Okay. Um, but, um, but all the social media accounts, I'm Jenny Catron. Okay. That's so great. This has been so helpful. Uh, been reading your blog and your emails for years and then heard of your uh, legendary success through our mutual friend and their church. And now having heard you talk to our listeners the way you have today, it's just such a gift. So thank you, Jenny, thank for, you, for all that you're doing, not just for our listeners, but for the kingdom as well. Well, it's a privilege. Thanks for the conversation today. And thank you for leading faithfully. I'm grateful for pastors like yourself who are being faithful to serve those that God has called you to reach and all the listeners. So thanks for this. I loved it. (laughs) Well, thank you. Well, thanks so much for listening. I hope this was beneficial to you. If it was, share it with somebody else. Please give us a rating and a review. That would be wonderful. I'd love to hear from you on that. And don't forget to go to compassion.com slash rusty and sponsor a child today. We are passionately pursuing sponsoring 1,000 kids between now and the end of the year, and it will be a great opportunity for you to change somebody's life this Christmas. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, Next week on our podcast, we have, oh man, this guy's hilarious. He's speaker, author, comedian, John Acuff. You're not going to want to miss it. So share this with a friend. We'll talk to you next week, and as always, keep it simple. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple.